What is going on, everybody? You are back. Hit the lotto. Episode 25, 26, 24, 20, 20 something. I don't know. I just make up numbers as I go along. It's been a few weeks since uh, we've been live. I think it's actually been three weeks now, and that's probably the longest that I've ever gone. But uh, we are back. We had some, uh, some stuff going on over the thanksgiving holiday and uh uh we're sure we got a lot to catch up on this uh on the episode this week uh the Roz is back welcome back dude hey how are you guys good man welcome back to the show pal i appreciate you coming back i'm looking forward well it hit a, it hit a day off you know so you wednesdays are good for me so um when given the opportunity i jumped you know how it goes i'd love to talk to you Awesome, man! Awesome. Well, let's, we got we got uh, Goldie in the studio, so uh, so we'll have a we'll have a good show. But we, oh. we actually we actually crossed uh, uh, I think it was fifteen hundred or so downloads. We just crossed total across all platforms. We just we're we're we're, we're doing all right, man. The show for twenty five episodes that's that's pretty good. That means that people I don't know are listening. So that's I talked about this every week, but that's pretty interesting to know that there's a there's a lot of folks because it's pretty equal U.S. and Irish too. So uh, it, it, people are listening. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we've got a little bit of an audience out there. And if we don't, I don't give a shit because I have fun time talking about it and hitting the lotto with with my mates. So uh, uh, how was Thanksgiving, dude? I mean, you worked like a dog, I'm sure. Kitchen stuff and, and uh, you know you 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 started uh, was it with COVID. You started to kind of take your home, we prep it thing and uh and it seemed to be a hit and you did that again this year yeah things went really well thanksgiving is obviously a real busy week if you're in the restaurant business and um being a part of an inn setting and you know the country inn setting it's even more so you know a popular destination for people to come and stay and enjoy the holidays so yeah we did some stuff to go and uh we do this meal kit thing this meal kit concept which has been really successful full deal you know we kind of do the old school Dean's Market trust and tide bird with the herbs and the butcher bag raw to be cooked at home with directions and thermometer and all the sides and all kinds of fun stuff that go along with it. I do candied popcorn in there and desserts and, you know, we make it really uh, something nice for people who uh, want to take it home and do it. And then, you know, extremely busy at the end. I did 25 organic Pennsylvania Amish turkeys this year in house and uh, had a success, uh, successful week. So awesome, yeah, man. good stuff. A lot of fun. Did you did you at least get to celebrate a, uh, some of the holiday with with some friends and family? No, no, <laughs> I didn't. Yeah, right. I but the you. good news is, is that uh, you know, listen, everybody, being a chef, doing what I do, every whole life is must be so rough. It's such a tough thing. But you know, um, it's going to sound corny, but when you, I guess, have got it, earned enough of your tenure, you get to pick and choose your spot. So. You know, four and a half day weeks are usually my usually my go to kind of week. And uh, the week before, it took three days, and this week I'm off three in a row. So, um, you know, we work hard, we play hard, reconnecting with the family this week, and uh, doing all the fun things now. So, you know, it's it's all relative. My quality of life is is uh, couldn't be better. I'm blessed and very grateful for my where I where I'm at. So, uh, not working too hard. So, talk to me about an Amish turkey. <clears throat> Absolutely. Well, you know, they don't use electricity or lights. They don't use any motorized uh, transportation. Um, I, I don't know what else to say. They wear funny 
overalls and have beards. Amish turkey. But they grow they grow good turkeys, huh? Oh, okay. Well, you missed my I guess that was my shot at humor. Listen, let me no, start out good. by saying it was, it was actually it was actually very funny. <laughs> it was actually very funny. That's... But I wasn't quite sure if we were going that direction or not. I, I just wasn't I wasn't on a percent. I sure it was too to my tone was so too thought, serious. Well honestly I'd, just, I'd bring it the, back to the turkey because you said turkey, so I I, I you know I thought the the turkeys themselves live the Amish life, or or, or is it the Amish people raising the turkeys? I well, let me. Here, well, I'll back up. The, my, that's my canned answer because a lot of people <laughs> ask me what. Well, they ask me a lot of that. You know what, what Amish turkeys are. So, well, basically, what that means is they come from Amish family farms in Pennsylvania, which is a, a really, um, a, a really great place to source a lot of poultry. I mean, a lot of non-Amish farms, Bell and Evans, a lot of great. Poultry farms are in Pennsylvania, right outside New York, easy access. But the stuff we, I source from a specialty meat purveyor. They're 100% organically raised, which is sort of part of the Amish shtick, if you will. You know, they're, they're raised on, you know, free-range birds, on the scraps from the farm. It's called the, the green circle. It's basically uh, the Amish use waste from their farm, vegetable waste, trimmings, and so on and so forth. That's what they feed their pastured turkeys all year. So there's no waste. There's no feed purchased. Um, there's no growth hormones, uh, antibiotics, any stimulants of any kind. Um, and I have to say, of all the turkeys that I've tried, they're the best. And um, I've tried heritage birds, which are, you know, what you would consider to be original breed birds, real mm-hmm. true farm turkeys, which are yeah. a little lean, have smaller breasts and bigger legs. They're really tough to cook. You really only get one shot at cooking them right. Um, and the Amish birds are really, they're excellent. They're a remarkable product. Um, we knock them out of the park. What we do is quickly, what I do is I don't cook the whole birds. I take the bird completely down. I roast the bones and use those for my stock for gravy. I brine the breasts and cook those on the skin in a very hot oven. I get in there about seven, eight o'clock in the morning and I slow braise the legs in their own juices. And then I bone the thighs, tie them into thigh roasts and cook those in a combi oven, about 80% humidity at 350 degrees. So everything, every part of the bird is cooked separately. So it's each cooked in its own perfect environment. So everything comes out better than it would if you were cooking at home. So, you know, I really put the science to the turkey uh, business. And uh, we do a little bit of each cut, a little bit of leg, a little bit of thigh roast, a little bit of breast, and all the other things in the house. We bake all the brioche in-house for the stuffing. Uh, you know, everything is sourced as locally as possible. It's a big deal. And, you know, to be honest with you, uh, it's one of the only nights of the year I stand on the line from the time we open at 1 until 9 o'clock when we close, and I play every single plate of turkey. So um, people are paying big money to be there on a special night, and it's nice for them to know that um, – well, I hope it's nice for them to know that I'm <laughs> back there putting everything on the plate for them. So that's really the Amish, the Amish bird story and this Thanksgiving story. You know, it is funny because, like, I often um, – being a former butcher, I often kind of say that to uh, <clears throat> to myself every year. Like, why is it only this day that people eat turkey? Like, pound for pound, everybody should have a turkey in their freezer. You know what I mean? Everybody, pound for pound, everybody should always have a turkey in their freezer because, and they should ask the butcher to break it down like you break it down. But you, you don't have to cook it that way. Just you can just roast it pound for pound. But then you, then you actually live through kind of those traditional. And I, I don't know if um, you know if you had the same experience, but you kind of live through those traditional turkey experiences where, you know, like the family bird growing up, 
<laughs> it was always not good. You know what I mean? It was always like overcooked. Generally uh, speaking, you know, everything for Thanksgiving is overcooked. You yeah, know, just the, the entire meal was basically. So you, remind, yeah, so you remind yourself like, oh, this is why. <laughs> you know what uh-huh. I mean? <laughs> because I'm just, most of that, those American families are literally just wear your sweatpants and because all of this shit is just full of cream and butter and sugar and it's overcooked and the turkey's overcooked, but you put it slathered with all this brown sauce on top of it and everybody hangs out. So it was always more about, you know, the the day than it was the turkey because would, after Thanksgiving, I'd be like, this is why nobody buys turkey during the year because everybody ruins it. Nobody does it. Nobody does it well. It's so hard because it's the one time of year where you're doing a big, a huge roast. You know, a big roast like that. I, I'm like I could say I'm not good at those big those big roasts. Roast beef, that shit. I can't do it. I can't do it right. I'm always I'm always under. You know, I'm always worried about overcooking. So I'm always under on that shit. Yeah, I know what you mean. I think it's the that's the the safe miss, anyways, is to go a little under. You know, with everything. Uh, poultry would not be a great example of missing under. But other things. Yeah, like no, those. I know you're right. You know, but I got to right. tell you, uh, doing as a chef, you know, what, there's nothing more that I love more than whole roast cookery. I love an eight bone rack of pork tied and trussed, rubbed with a nice dry rub, and roasted in the oven until just you know, cut it. It's just dripping juices, and it's pink in there. And man, rack of lamb. Think about the leg of lamb tied and trussed, and rubbed in you know roasted garlic and Dijon mustard and rosemary, and whole roast large format cookery. Is, is an art for a guy like me who's not in buffet, not in hotels, who doesn't have an opportunity to do a lot of that. It's such I'm very, I happen to be practiced and very good at it, uh, given uh, past experience plus modern technology, the equipment that we have today. I mean, I have a $25,000 Rationale White Efficiency Combi Oven that I can control everything from humidity to times to temps to when it turns on, to when it turns off. I have an internal thermometer. I can check the internal temperatures of things. Uh, it's, a, it's an impressive machine. So using all the things that we know, I mean, there's nothing cooler than like prime rib, like a ribeye roast. I, love the, I even love the, the tactile part of tying it, you know, with the butcher twine and making it look it's, – it's, it's an art. And it's a, yeah. it's a really cool part of my craft that I enjoy doing because I don't – I'm not in a hotel doing 40 prime rib a day. I'm sure I'd be pretty burnt on prime rib if that was the case, but – um, you know, I really enjoy that stuff. I, I love that. And I think everything cooks better on the bone and hole, you know, don't you? Yeah, I completely do. And I think that's why I, I enjoy, you know, a really good, uh, like I just, I can't, my timings just for some reason, even though I'll go buy the book, but my timings on those things somehow, like I could do a, like say we're, if we're having say, uh, four, four people over, or if you're doing it for a dinner for like four or five, instead of doing like four shell steaks, I'll get one really thick or two very thick porterhouse steaks or T-bone steaks, and I'll do those. That's about as far as I can get. When you're talking about more than that, even like I always undercook a rack of lamb. I don't think I ever remember a day when I actually got a rack of lamb right, and I love a rack of lamb. You're right, like a good, beautiful pink beautiful rack of lamb there's nothing in the world better than that but i I, that's one of the things i always get out like when i go out to dinner with with my (laughs) wife or if i go when we go out she's always like you always order 
odd stuff. I'm like, I order shit when I go out that I can't get at home. Sure. I get <laughs> you know that. I mean? like, no, absolutely. Like, Listen, like, there's a whole spiel to that because, you know, we get, a t- we get two different kinds of diners. You know, we get people that are there to come and, and experience things. And other people are there that because they eat out seven days a week, they have personal chefs, they don't cook. I go into people's homes. They've never turned these wildly expensive pieces of equipment on to use them. And so they eat chicken. So some people, you know, some of my young chefs will say, man, these people, they come, they eat chicken every week. And the next guy comes and he's having foie gras on rack of lamb. I say, listen, some people are here for dinner and others are here for a dining experience. And on the subject of rack of lamb, get your pencils out, folks. Oh, I, look at that. I would, I would take city. Pre, preheat your oven to 440, 450. Take about so, a 20 so here- Excuse so here, just to just to interrupt though, so here in Celsius, we we're probably talking about two, just over two hundred, like two two ten, two twenty, somewhere in that range. So yeah, so there you go, two ten. Right. The best thing to have is a great oven thermometer, so that you, your oven, if you turn your oven onto four fifty, it may not be four fifty. You need to be calibrated. So I have very inexpensive thermometers in all my ovens because we turn it to four fifty, but it might be four thirty. Um, check that internal thermometer. I like 440. I know it's specific, but it works. 28-ounce rack of denuded rack of lamb. I thought that's about the average large heavy rack. And I say denuded. That means take the cap off, French it, take most of the fat off. I rub that with salt and pepper. I put that 28 to 30-ounce rack of lamb. Goldie just, Goldie just got super excited when I heard that word. Denuded. Good, good. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get it. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, you, in, in the process is that too. When you think of it, you're, you're removing, you're, yeah. you're pairing back. So um, again, simple equation, 440 oven, that's Fahrenheit, 28 ounce to 30 ounce rack of lamb, which is about an eight bone rack of lamb. I put it in there for 12 minutes and then I rest it for 20. So 12 minutes in the oven, rubbed with salt and pepper, pull it out, let it sit on the counter for 20 minutes. It is a maybe... On this side of the pond, at least, it's a really beautiful rare mid-rare. And that's probably where you like it and you want to be, too. So um, that's yeah. my equation. It works every time. That would be a, an oven with some fan. If you don't have convection, maybe go a little closer to 15 minutes. But you got to have the poundage up there. It's got to be up 28, 30 ounces to handle that kind of heat. So my thing with rack lamb is I like to cook it hot. Um, some guys, you know, there's different methods. and you know, But I found that roast cookery is much more, much more approachable from a high temperature. I like to get it hot fast. And then turn my temperature down to rest. Those yeah. are sort of the calculations that we use. A lot of guys figure there's a lot of loss involved, but I know you got a lot of guys talking on here about a lot of things, and I don't want to get too too scientific with it. But no, no, um, go for it, man. That's why you're here, dude. That's why you're here. That, you know, those, don't the, the, understand the, that. Yeah, I think it's it's a simple thing. Saying. I think it's I think it's about high heat with certain with certain things, and and it, roast cookery requires a great rest. You have a big piece of meat. You need to put it on the counter and you need to let it sit there. Don't be afraid to let it sit there 40 minutes. Um, you might cool down a little bit, but you pop it back in an oven for another five minutes and just warm it over again and then slice. But the rest allows for even cooking. You don't want that bullseye effect where you pull something out of a hot oven, you cut it in half. It's raw in the middle and well on the outside. A good rest will get it, will get it wall-to-wall pink. So uh, speaking of pink, um, you guys didn't ask me about what I was drinking tonight, but it is the color pink. Uh, okay. A lovely – drink you have this evening? You, you never ask, but I always, I'm always – I have to tell. Tonight's mm. Beef Eater. And Gatorade on the rocks. That is tremendous. Yeah, it's, it's, it's refreshing, is. thirst quenching. It's it's hitting it's hitting me in a lot of different spots. So that is hitting um, you in so many different places. That's that's uh. That's I'm feeling good about it. I like it. It's good. So um, awesome, man. <laughs> that's what I would well, say about the, the the roast cookery and the Thanksgiving and 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 um, you know now we're moving on to Christmas and I got to 
big old thing of caviar in the fridge tonight and a bottle of Bollinger ready to go. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. That's uh, uh, awesome. As you know, uh, as I've, I've told you, but now the, and everyone will know I had, um, I had guests over for, uh, for the, 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 basically the two weeks leading up to, uh, uh, to Thanksgiving, they left the day before from America. And before I even my, my father and, and his wife, my stepmother were in town for 10 days. And before I get, even get into that, um, it was my first sort of look at what travel is and where it's going to go back to and what's kind of happening because it all sort of, uh, you know, uh, just was quite interesting experience because, you know, now the new normal is you have to get the test, you have to get tested, you have to get, you know, your antigen test if you're vaccinated. And then they had to, <clears throat> they had to, uh, the day they left before they left because the, at the airport, um, there's an antigen test center and a PCR test center. Um, you have to get a test no more than 72 hours. So what people do is they just schedule and they give you the, the results in a half hour. So what people do is they just uh, uh, schedule a test at the, hot, at the airport where there's this office for the thing and you go get your test and then you go wait a half hour and they say, you know, you're negative and then you take that to the to check in. You need that to check in. So now that's the new, you know, COVID has now added an, an hour more to a fucking flight. Like, you know what I mean? That is, I fly last year and the year before the last, you know, before COVID, I flew, you know, a few times a month to the, to the UK. So I would take flights. Uh, I would take flights to Birmingham. And a flight to Birmingham in the UK or a flight to Manchester in the UK, it, Birmingham, is uh, you're actually in the air for about a half hour. You know what I mean? By the it time, sounds like Baltimore. Yeah, you take off, you get up, and then you land. Like It's like you're like, oh, wow, we're there already. And, and it, it's, you're in the air. But to get to, to go that distance, you have to be in a half-hour flight. You have to be at the airport two hours early. So you get there and it's just a bunch of fucking, you know, what do you know what it is? You know what travel is, you know what I mean? And now they're just adding another hour to that. If you want to get it done, try and get it all done in the same day. You just have to get it done. Another, otherwise, you got to go somewhere to get the test. Now, you can get the test somewhere else, but it's just very convenient for, you know, if you're going to America, are you going to go schedule a test the day before? You know, if you're here on a tourist trip. You know what I mean? Like it's just more, it's more compact spatially demographically to just get it done. So it was just interesting to see that, uh, uh, that's what's that, that's the new normal, you know, the new travel normal is let alone all the craziness that happens with security. But this is like the next nine 11 stage. If you know what I mean? Like nine 11 changed the transportation, the flight industry on it, put it on its fucking ear. 9-11, from that on, your shoes are off. Everything's out of your pockets. Everything, all things that were basically done, but now they're creating new machines, and they're now that you go into the machine, you put your arms up, and it spins around, and then you cut, like, all this crazy shit that's going on now. That was all catalyst with 9-11. This is sort of the next catalyst now where there's going to be, you know, what will there be? Will there be just these breathalyzer machines at the door? You got to breathe in the breathalyzer to tell if you have Omicron or not. 
you know, what's next? That's a good question. I wonder why they only, you know, when they talk about infectious diseases in general, um, I know this is a very serious one and this, I think it's all very necessary. I'm on board with whatever, you know, I, it is inconvenient, but I'm on board with it all. But at the same time, you know, like, this is how any disease travels from continent to continent. And I'm not going to be that person to say flu kills as many people as as whatever. But I mean, who's, who's to say at some point this doesn't lead to you, your travel being limited depending on whatever condition that you may have. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, totally. I mean, I guess it's, it's bringing back sort of also like it used to be, you know, when you and I were kids, it was super expensive to fly. We drove. You know, and actually that was one of the, the stories that was told, you know, when, when my dad was here was we told the story of, you know, getting piling into a station wagon. There was six of us, I think, one, two, three, four, five, six of us in the station wagon driving to, from outside of Philly to Florida to Orlando. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. driving down, like, are you nuts? You know, you know, I, that, I I don't mind driving driving as an adult to, but six. Could you imagine driving with like four kids in a car, all the way down there? Nope, I'll fly. Nope, we'll just fly. But back then, you didn't have that option. It just was. It was there. It was available, but it wasn't an option. You yeah, drove people everywhere. people people pay for convenience is a lot easier in some ways now, and it's a lot more commonplace. Um, I guess to travel, but yeah, we were, we drove, we did a lot of driving too. I, we did for sure. Um, but I think that was sort of part of the mystique and the fun of and the memories as well uh, was those trips of being wedged in between your grandparents for 700 miles or something, you know what I mean? <laughs> for better or for worse, they're not always good stories or good memories, but you know what I mean? Um, a lot of that open road and, and any, any memories of me flying, it was like going to the best restaurant or going to the finest hotel. It was like we dressed and, you know, everybody was dressed to the nines and everybody, in, you know, I can remember there was smoking in the back of the airplane and all those crazy things that you can remember, you know? Yeah, yeah, there was a smoking section. Yeah, for, yeah. I mean, even for years after, even for years after, if you remember in the in the arm of the seat, there was always an ashtray. Of course, it wasn't you when there was no more smoking, but there were still ashtrays in the seats. A lot of those old planes, if you remember flying after, even after they got rid of smoking on airplanes but yeah yeah i mean that's i mean those planes are still in use today they just have different seats in them now but they fought because they finally changed the seats of those things but the reality is most of these airlines are flying those planes from the the 80s and still today you know so yeah they just put they just put more seats in and made them smaller so you get packed more people in that sucker right spray i mean imagine the scrubbing they'd have to do to get that the, the, that smell out of those airplanes, though, even even though they're definitely sterile, Jesus probably took forever to rip that shit apart, man. But uh, so we got Omicron, man. Here we go, huh? Yeah, I guess Omicron. so. Listen, I'm not so concerned. I'll be honest with you. I, I'm as vigilant and as cautious as I have been since the start. Um, I respect what's going on out there, and I'm not going to let. Again, I'm not that guy, but I'm just not going to let what I read or see or hear induce any more fear than is already within me of this thing i'm already scared and i can't be any more scared um unless something really serious comes around the corner or there's you know we run out of vaccine ideas or we get a really killer strain but i mean i just don't know what else there is for us to possibly do and the other day i used the analogy to someone it's like working in a bomb factory so you get a job in a bomb factory 
And your first day in the bomb factory, you're scared shitless, right? I mean, it's your first day in a bomb factory. It's a freaking bomb factory, right? And you look over at a veteran guy. He's been there. He's worked in the bomb factory 12 years, and he's sitting on a pile of TNT smoking a butt, you know, looking at you. He's no longer scared. So I think that somewhat, at least here, I see people are very conditioned to it. We're used to the masks. We're used to respecting space. Uh, we're following the, the protocol that we can, but we've sort of been conditioned in, in that way that, you know, we're surrounded by this, this danger all the time. But I mean, before people were like just freaked out. And I think, I don't know. I just, it's really life as usual here. I mean, people are just going about their daily stuff. People aren't being held back. People aren't being quarantined. People are, I mean, I, rem I remember like if one person was sick at work, we shut down, we cleaned, we shit, man, we get somebody sick at work now. It's like, ah, so-and-so has COVID. Nobody cares. We all went on. Nobody's worried about if they were close to them or if they sat in the same seat as them. People are like taking it as a, with a grain of salt now comparative to what it was a year ago when you were absolutely scared shitless of somebody at your job. Like everybody ran out and got tested for COVID. Nobody yeah, because, nobody yeah, because there, a shit, there's you know? a vaccine now. Yeah, I guess that's, I guess that's definitely, it's, it's a <laughs> good point. Of course it is. You know? Yeah, of course, because all of this fighting and all this is why I, I, I like. I mean, I don't know if you listen to it while you're while you were gone, but like every week, I, I, I always end up talking about this. It's because there's a fucking vaccine, and you and I had a show with Gary. We talked about vaccines last week. Gary's on. We talked about them. We're in a group together that we talk about these things, and we have these back and forth about these things all the time. But the fact is, the fact, the unequivocal fact, unless you want to bring out one thing, and that's long-term, we don't know the long-term effects of this, which is, it's a moot point because we don't know the long-term effects of so much fucking shit. But this, the, 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 there are very few reasons scientifically medically speaking there are very few reasons why people shouldn't be vaccinated and and to say that this is your your rights and your liberties and they're taking it away is to the nth degree of fucking scared and i get that like i get people are like oh the government's gonna take your fucking job they're gonna take your fucking kids away from you they're gonna take they're gonna kill everybody they're gonna blah, blah, blah. They're, i get it i get it i understand i get it tired but it's a political issue and there's no reason for you not and take it it's gonna save your life because you're the ones who are going to die from this you know now at this stage you're the ones who are going to die from this you are the ones who are proven to die from this you are the ones that are in the hospital from this the numbers are still astronomical but one of the reasons why people who most people don't care is because they're vaccinated and the numbers unequivocally state that you can still get COVID, but COVID is like the flu. Unless you have some crazy underlying circumstance or something crazy happens, your chances now of getting super sick or putting in the hospital or worse with the vaccination still with Omicron, they're saying still is pretty fucking good. Like yeah, you know, as far as the Omicron is concerned, the stuff that we're seeing and we're reading here, it's not, it's, you know, not, anything different than what we're seeing in other strains. I mean, some people are just reporting mild illness from it, vaccinated exactly. people and such. So, um, you know, listen, I'm not going to get into media. I'm not going to get into all that stuff, but you know, they love to, to scare the shit out of us. They love to, to, to put fear. That's what gets ratings. That's what gets people turning on the television and reading articles. And if they don't put that kind of shit, you know, in there, they won't be popular. They won't make money. Uh, yada, yada. It's not even worth the, the, the oxygen wasted to, to get, go down that road. It's just, the world we live in, it's one of the main reasons why I don't pay attention to a lot of this stuff anymore. Um, I'm out here, I'm, you know, on a personal level with, as far as COVID's concerned, I'm living my own life, I'm being safe, and 
being considerate of other people. And that's the best that we can do. Whether you want to get vaccinated or not, that's entirely your choice. Um, I know where I'm at with it and, and, and I'm happy with, with the decisions that I've made. So, you know, best of luck to the rest of you. Well, I think that's the, the, the whole interesting point here is that, that, you know, I feel the same way, but the problem is that there's still a chance that you, it's not like the, it's not the flu yet. It's still killing people every day. You know what I mean? It's still, so that's where there, people are like, mm, we're not, we're, we're living our lives. But we can't hear it's very different. We're still working from home. They just put mandated that kids now in primary schools wear a mask. We had more cases today or yesterday than we had, you know, almost at close to the peak of this fucking disease. Now the reason is clear and it's the, the, the numbers are overwhelming. Again, it's unvaccinated. There are some vaccinated people. Yeah. But it's like something like 20% of the, the hospital beds are vaccinated people who have gotten are sick with COVID and 80% are from unvaccinated people who, you know what I mean? And the numbers, but the numbers are higher, but the, the pers- it's very simply sort of laid out. And that's why we're, all like still taking it with a grain a grain of salt over here, but it's uh it's very interesting here because the government is giving out some very uh, sort of mixed weird mixed messages. The government actually actually said this is great. So the Irish Irish government, I fucking love them. Um, the government actually came out and said that uh, kids should um, not be they they're highly recommending that kids don't you know gather indoors. Uh, because they're, they're a high percentage of them because the school kids haven't gotten vaccinated here. Okay. So under 12s. So kids don't, so they don't have sleepovers. They don't get together in big groups outside of school. That is where they're in pods and stuff. Um, and there's one other thing that they do. Oh, they don't go to like theaters and uh, you know, indoor, indoor kind of theaters and kind of places. And the irony is though, is that over here in Ireland, they have, um, these plays called pantos. So these pantos are basically the kids Christmas play. They go to the, the fancy theater, the really nice theaters and all the theaters have them. And they, sometimes there's somebody like semi-famous that's stars in it, but basically it's a funny play for kids that kids can run through the aisles and laugh and yell and scream at the actors and all that stuff, you know? So it's, it's a, uh, uh, that one time of the year. So the pantos are going on. So the Panthers can go on, but the government is recommending that the kids don't go. Hmm. So, yeah. It's a little so, bit, a little bit so of mixed so messages. Guys, yes, but it's a lot of, you know, are... listen, there's a lot of mixed messages. I, I get it. I hear it. You know, it's, it's kind of crazy the way that they're, it's, it's what I call that gray area. If, if you, you're never, they're non-committal to one thing. They can't be held to one statement, one comment. Um, you know, it's the same old bullshit, man. I, I don't know. It's just, you know, like I said, for me, it's, um, you know, wear a mask. My kids are, you know, everybody's wearing masks in school here. Everyone's you know, doing all that stuff. And, and certainly indoor activities have been limited. Um, people are going to get this thing. I'm unfortunately put the thought has crossed my mind. Many people I know have had it. I've certainly laid in bed and thought about what if and when I don't see, a, I don't see a way that we don't, don't all have it at some point so yeah i think um, that's what's gonna happen here i think what's gonna happen i i don't a i don't see a way that we don't all have it and b i actually um partially you and i have had this conversation before that i actually um think that 
there's a chance that we may have been one of the first wave to actually have it. I you and I, when, particularly. When we, when we were together, you, you, last time we were together, I mean, that was as bad as I've been sick. I haven't been sick like that in forever, and I've had, you know, been tested many times and have had the antibodies. So um, no one's going to tell me, again, the gray area. Well, it appears that you've had it, but we're not, we can't really say for sure. So, well, I don't, you know, I don't know how to interpret that. But it's <laughs> funny, um, right? <laughs> but, but that, you know, it just says a lot. So I don't know, you know, listen. Um, I know one thing. Brooks Kepka didn't have uh, COVID when he kicked Bryson DeChambeau's ass last Friday. Yeah, baby golf. Let's talk about a little golf. I got a couple things for you, but um, that was a segue. Like, that was a beautiful segue. Worked <laughs> man, like, like fucking salt and pepper. Mm-hmm. Like, you bet, baby. Turkey and gravy. <laughs> <laughs> you can't have one without the other. So it was a again, man. These guys, you know, it's funny because marketing geniuses like the two of them. The two of them had they they let's be honest they didn't like each other they probably they still can't stand each other but they're both pros and they're both like how much money can we make <laughs> twelve holes opportunity opportunity yeah. opportunity twelve holes how much Mickelson was like look fellas I've done this bullshit a few times now with these asshole quarterbacks for the NFL <laughs> trust me lads you two are fucking gold yeah this is it's, it's as good as it's as good as you know uh, any rivalry. <laughs> really current rivalry in sports. You know what I mean? It really is. It's, it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, I of course the, didn't, didn't have the opportunity to watch it, but you know, all the highlights and all the, yeah. the, the, the trash talking. And uh, I love the way that they both handled it. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, always sort of reinforces my own personal belief or my own point about Brooks Kepka, which is that he has another gear, um, as far as competitors are concerned in their sports. Um, he doesn't always show it, which is disappointing at times because you wonder what his potential really could be. But in today's sport, in any sport, I think if you look, great players don't waste their talent on the small time. They only wait for the big moments to shine because they've already been paid. 50 years ago, you had to shine every day. If you were Mickey Mantle, you had to hit home runs every day. You had to... Uh, perform every day to earn a weekly paycheck because that was your only source of income other than the fact that maybe you owned a bowling alley or a car dealership. Today, you win a tournament or a few tournaments or possibly a major or a championship in sport. Uh, You have massive sponsor, um, you know, money coming in. So a guy like Kepka, really in theory, as well as other golfers using Rory McIlroy as another example, um, get big paychecks. They don't have to worry about winning on a weekly basis like a lot of these small-time pros do. So they only show up when they need to. Um, and it's not always great for the viewer, but and it kind of really waters down the small tournaments. People don't get, You don't get the viewership because these guys aren't out there to win every week. But um, Kepka is one of those guys who shows up to the majors. And I think the, rounding that out is he's a player that plays in big moments. Um, this wasn't necessarily – he being the aloof personality that he is will shrug this off. But we all know that he wasn't going to lose to Bryson DeChambeau, and he <laughs> he rose to the occasion. And he's just a better he's just a better all around player. I mean, he just is. I mean, I'm a golfer. I know enough about golf at this point in my life to make comparisons. And DeChambeau is wildly talented. He brings uh, some really very interesting uh, approach to the game, and we've all seen that and discussed it and thought you know pondered it on our own. Uh, you don't have to know much about golf to watch him to know he's a very unorthodox approach. But Kepka's very smooth and calm, and, and he's that way in big moments, and he putts well in big moments. And 
Uh, he's played the, the crappy tours. He's been run through the ringer. He's the underdog. Um, no longer, but at one time he was never got any media attention and much to his chagrin. And of course, he mentioned that a few years ago, like you guys never covered me. Uh, and, and here I am. So, you know, he's kind of having the last word with a lot of people on his career. And this was another last word. So I like Bryson DeChambeau. I like the way, you know, I like there's nothing. It's not, to me, it didn't matter who won, but um, it was um, it was definitely, I guess, the word's emphatic, wasn't yeah. it? <clears throat> well, you know, I think um, uh, you're right. I think, you know, when you, when you look at the two, at these two dudes, like – Bryson DeChambeau, what has a, a his degrees in physics or something, right? Like he's like he is involved in and look, Bryson DeChambeau is just he went to Cobra and was like, why don't we just make all the clubs the same fucking size? Because then I can swing exactly the same way, and because I'm so fucking strong, even though I was 112 pounds last year, now I'm 240 pounds of pure muscle because I went out because I I'm so smart that I got myself I brought my body up to speed with my brain and now he's that's what he's doing he's constantly challenging his brain to see challenge his body to get hit the ball further and hit the ball straighter and hit the ball better and Brooks is like tricks on fucking yeah man let's you know what I mean like let me smack your fucking ball a few times let me let me use this club am i comfortable is this this is a nice club you're gonna work with me okay i need it like this i need it like that i need it like this you know where bryson would still be designing it you know what yeah. i mean and then designing yeah. his body to catch up with it where I, I it reminded me of and i think this is great for for the game all of these these kind of celebrity events and i think they've shown even though the first tiger phil one was it wasn't it was that pay-per-view didn't work they had to give everybody back their money or some shit but uh um, you know, we used to get it for free. It used to be Shell's wonderful, wonderful world of golf. World of golf. And one of my, one of, one of my dear my friends, friend. one of my dear friends, fathers used to host it, Dave Marr, you know, <laughs> uh, I, I, he's a good friend of mine. One of, <laughs> one, of right. the, one of his sons uh, was in the restaurant business with me and uh, Dave Marr, he was a PGA champion. He was in the lead at the masters coming down the stretch in the sixties with Palmer and Nicholas. And uh, he was a, a fine golfer in his day and in his own right. And uh, became a terrific announcer i was i was middle of the night here in america on the golf channel they used to air all the old ones gene sarazen against somebody <laughs> and ben hogan against oh, somebody was, yeah, was, they were amazing and they should do more of that yes it, it, yes. it was in in these great places like the mid-ocean club in bermuda or yes. you know these pebble beach with you know the with byron nelson and and whoever it was insane yes. and jack whitaker was another great who just recently passed away but another great voice of golf jack whitaker yep. i don't know if you remember him i do but, i do indeed, uh, yeah. uh uh maybe it was peter alice that just passed away maybe i'm wrong but jack whitaker peter was alice, yes. yeah so jack whitaker was another guy that did that show i grew up on that stuff i loved that stuff and, and i mean i gosh i mean talk about people rolling their eyes at the content that you watch comparing you know, people watching this and that. And that was cool to me. And I love the shells shells. Wonderful. I knew you were going there. Shells. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah. World of golf was the best. It that was, was the it best. Was, it was, you know, it, it, <laughs> I, I don't know if you even the MLB network, the baseball network used to have, used to show these, they used way, way back in the day, they had home run derbies between just two guys. And it would be fucking like maze and Mantle. Mm -hmm. Wow, I didn't know that. I've never seen them. Yes. 
Yeah, it's the same concept. Like just like you said, they would uh, uh, the the. I mean, it's to see it's two amazing. Like these are the forefathers of the the great game of golf. <laughs> you know, when you would see playing each other, and it and it lasted forever, and it was such a great show. And like you said, it was always like, you know, at, at uh, at the old head, you know what I mean? Yeah, at these yeah. like yeah. unbelievable Cape Kidnapper. We're in Cape Kidnappers yeah. in New Zealand. It was like, it was like, two, it was two guys that you wouldn't see. It was just head to match. You know, the the great part was just the two guys head to head match. Yep. And then it was at a at a crazy exotic location that most people don't get an opportunity to ever see. Um, it was great television. You had to be pure, a pure fan to enjoy it. But if you were, there was nothing. I don't think there's. I don't think. I don't. I don't. I would take I would take a match every Sunday, probably over at least fifty percent of the weekly tournaments. If they just told us we're going to cut to the chase and have, you know, a match play event, the, the world number one and two against each other, we you know what I mean, something like that, or every other week, or throw that in the mix or something, just in the off season that there isn't an off season anymore. But there should be more of it, and I get it's for charity, but you know what? I think and I think that's really good. But wouldn't it be cool if those guys were like playing for some flat out dough, take home money? <laughs> Just to see how, yeah. just to see how good it would really get, you know, that would be fun. Yeah, yeah. I, I completely like the the the. It would be there would be more motivation there, like the Brooks like Bryson, you know, event that happened. Like these guys actually had this distaste for each other, realized they could put some money into it, and like you said, Brooks was just the one who was like, "There is no fucking way in hell that I'm going to let this little fucking bulldog beat me." You know what I mean? Like it's not happening. No, he, he, he wasn't, it wasn't, and not that he's, he couldn't be beaten, but, um, it no, was situational no. yeah, yes, and he's yes. just, uh, he's a kind of, he just rises. I'm not, DeChambeau is a, is a great golfer, but he just rises. Oh, I, had a, I had a great story a couple of years ago. Um, maybe somebody, when somebody's heard you or, or some of your viewers, um, a, a few years back, I read an article in golf digest about Bryson DeChambeau. Uh, this writer was on the range very early in the morning on a, a moving day, and DeShambo was out there spraying the range ball with water, with a spray bottle, spraying down the range ball and then hitting, spraying down the range ball and then hitting. And he was sort of really captured his attention and waited for DeShambo to finish, and he got close enough to DeShambo's caddy and asked him, what the hell are you guys doing? He says, well, tomorrow morning, Bryson tees off very early and there will be dew on the ground and the golf ball will be wet. So Bryson is trying to determine the effect of the morning dew on the golf ball and how that will be relative to ball flight and spin rate here on the range. So we'll know what to hit. And then next to him is Kevin Kisner who, (laughs) who last week, uh, a fan barked out of the gallery, wouldn't you like to try going for it? And Kisner calmly replied, wouldn't you like to try go fucking yourself? Yes, he did. He uh, told the fan to go fuck himself. Yeah, yeah, he did. It's still the same game. You have to put the ball in the hole, and that's all there is to it. So it's wild because the approaches are so vastly, wildly different. Uh, There's such a, a feel golf and a technical, mechanical golf approach to everything. And um, you look at a guy like Tiger Woods, and I always use him as an example because who's, there's no better example, but um, a guy who will discuss mechanics but is purely all, an all-field golfer. Yeah. You know what I mean? No one hits, no one hits a knockdown 80-yard wedge that lands and spins left 25 feet to a tucked pin. 
You know what I mean? That's not mechanics. Seen, That's I've not mechanics. Seen, I've never seen so many fucking assholes in my life try to hit a stinger in a spot where there's no need to hit a stinger because <laughs> they saw a fucking tiger hit the stinger that was no the, more than three feet off the ground, yeah. 300 fucking yards. Right. The best, like, I think the, I hit a stinger here. Yeah, the best stinger is the one where they accidentally hit low on the face and they just <laughs> catch the bottom two grooves of the club and it's one groove short of being yeah. just thin. Yeah. And I had a little stinger. Nice thing. You hear that? Good stinger. Yeah, it was a stinger. Yeah, yeah, it was a stinger. All right. Those are the shots where I'll just because it at least goes straight. So for me, I'm just like, all right, it moved forward. Yes, sir. Forward is good. <laughs> I'm with you. Are you kidding me? Forward is good right. in any in any regard. Forward. I tell you, the other day, it was just on the subject of golf. I played Hampton Hills. I, I had a good time with a couple of friends of yours, and um, golf's a funny game, man. I jacked the three wood 25 yards off the tee right into the woods. I hit a grounder three iron. Then I hit a 225-yard four-wood, a 50-foot putt, and a five-foot tap-in for par. So golf is a funny game, and it doesn't – you don't have to be – it don't have to be pretty. It don't have to be pretty, man. It don't have to be pretty. You just got to put it in the hole. That's hilarious. And uh, going back to – Tiger Tiger actually gave a – he gave a press conference, right, didn't he, before the – before the, the Hero last World week Challenge. or something? Yeah, mm-hmm. so, yeah absolutely. And, uh, you know, what, you know, it was actually funny because I, I saw uh, – a good TikTok that had the reporter, the reporter that asked him um, if uh, cutting off his legs was on the menu. Basically, uh, if cutting off his leg, a leg was was if amputation was on was on the I cards, saw it. On the I tables. saw it. Yeah, I saw that. And, and Tiger, what? Yes, definitely, it was. He said it was on and the then, table. Yeah, he said, yeah, yeah, he said it was on the table. And then the t- reporter, it, it so stumbled the reporter. That the reporter forgot what his 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 question next question he was going to be to him. Did. You know, he was like, um, <laughs> um, and just the way t- in Tiger perfect Tiger fashion, like, yeah, I almost fucking lost my leg. Yes, mm-hmm. I did. No, I he did. He, he the, the 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 porter the reporter lost his train of thought from, from that answer, and you could hear it in his voice. He was uh, he was stunned to hear that. Uh, I think some of the you know, listen, I think a lot of the 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 the, the press conference was interesting, and Tiger said all the things that people like him say and should say and that their publicists tell them to say. But I think that the coolest part of the thing that I took away from it was, was that Tiger mentioned that in four years he'll be in a cart, which means that he will actually consider playing on the senior tour, which will be fantastic for senior golf. Yeah. Um, will be for fan- fantastic for the tour itself because, yep. you know, they don't get as much when they first, you know, when they first started, they got some play and they had a lot of greats, the Trevinos, the Palmers, all those guys were on that tour. And listen, they're still out there. They're still doing what they're doing, but, you put Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson, you get some of these guys that men of our generation, these were our heroes. You get these guys out there competing on a weekly basis again. You know, Tiger and, you know, the U.S. The, the US Senior Open or the British Senior Open uh, is a, a really kind of an overlooked thing. But you get Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson down the stretch on Sunday Tide in the, in the British Senior Open, I bet you're going to get some TV time. Yeah, but it would outdraw it would outdraw the PGA Tour that week. It would sure. outdraw the PGA Tour. You're damn right, it would. So that's exciting to me, and I look forward to that. And I hope he does. I hope he follows through on that. I don't think he's going to be a very competitive golfer um, until then. I think that he's going to play and he'll do this thing. And God, I hope he's I hope he's what he is. But come on, you put it put put all the factors in there. And put his age into the factor. Put how little he's played. Put injury into it. There's a lot of things other than this. Just this recent. I mean, he's had a history of injury and back problems and mm-hmm. um, any comeback at all. Let, from any golfer, let alone a guy who's on his second comeback after you know near death experience, 
uh, would be amazing in itself. So I don't, I don't have a lot of high hopes for him, but um, I challenge anybody that loves golf or wants to see the most perfect swing, go back to 2000, 2001 and watch that golf swing because there's nothing like it and you'll never see anything like it ever again. That was an explosion. That's the only way to put it. It looked like a gunshot, something coming out of a rifle. Never seen anything like it. Never will again. So, so that was pure. So do, did we uh, – I mean, obviously, we, you always kind of uh, – take the the stance because of nostalgia that you know of of eras of any sport you know we took again again we have these conversations about sports all the time and different sports and how they've changed over the years and the eras that have come and gone and those things did are we did we because because of tiger you know we we pretty much caught like the most incredible era of golf of any generation before us. Yeah, because it, it's it, it, it and, and you're right, and it's a great point, and I agree with you 100. percent And one of the one, we all know this, but just reiterating it, Tiger came into golf at a time where golf was played by a different kind of golfer, a different men of different athletic ability, guys with different habits. Tiger came in; he introduced nutrition, athleticism, weights. He transcended the sport like uh, Babe Ruth did to baseball, or uh, he changed things. Not that Babe Ruth brought athleticism into the game, but baseball was a small game. It was a game of small ball, bunting, running, speed, defense, and Babe hit more home runs than entire teams did. So he introduced power to the game of baseball, and Tiger Woods introduced power to the game of golf. He overpowered golf courses. He drove par fours. He was on into hitting, in hitting irons into par fives. He overwhelmed golf courses. He created the Tiger effect where golf course designers designed golf courses and altered classic golf course designs just to accommodate his kind of game. And what he did by doing that all was usher in a completely different kind of golfer. Now, he stood alone at that time. <clears throat> now he stands with every single other professional golfer on that tour. They're yeah. all equally as accurate. They're yeah. all equally as powerful. Yeah. They all have nutritionists. They all have chefs. They all because they gym. were all, because they were all the 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 lucky enough kids that were born when Tiger was hitting his prime. So those parents, those fathers who put put those kids into golf knew what Absolutely. it was going to take. Yeah, so, well, you, you can't the sustain. The whole thing changed. You yeah, you I mean, can't sustain thing. a golf career now without without doing the things that these guys do. You can't compete unless you do the things that these guys do today. You're not yeah. even – I mean, it's just that – so he raised the bar, and now you're right. I mean, I don't know. I mean, the greatest era ever in golf for the reason being that Tiger stood above and there was such greatness and what he did to golf course – uh, you know, golf courses of the era. I mean, now the golf courses are 8,000 yards and everybody hits the ball 320. You know what I mean? So I don't know what you could do to make, to create another great golf era other than have somebody come in here and hit the ball 400 yards and, you know, shoot 60, you know, 60s, 60, 61s on average. You know what I mean? So did the generation before us, I guess it was about a generation and a half really before us. Well, no, it was about a generation before us. Would, would they completely disagree because they had Nicholas? Well, I, I mean, I think Nicholas would even agree that technology, the ball, the clubs, yeah. the course has changed. I mean, yeah. if, if you put – if you gave Dustin Johnson the 1960 technology and the 1960 golf ball, I mean, a Bolada ball had so much spin, Dustin Johnson would be spinning that ball all over the golf course. It's a totally – I mean, from, from a field perspective and a mechanics perspective, the game is played a little differently 
from the hands down, from the hands to the club head. So, I mean, you know, it's like making the comparison, would Bobby Jones have been great if you, if he had, you know, today's technology, I played with Hickory club. So I don't know if, if a guy like Brooks Kepka would, would be competitive with, with Hickory <laughs> sticks. Would, would, would Bobby Jones beat Brooks Kepka today with on Hickory's probably because Bobby Jones grew up playing that, you know what I mean? If you gave them that today and vice versa, I mean, I don't think Bobby Jones could compete. His body wasn't the you know the body of a of a, of a Brooks Kepka. He, he wasn't used to playing the technology in the ball. Would he play well? Yes. So I think the ball technology. Yeah, he was a full time lawyer too. Yeah, oh, yeah, well, he, yeah. He, he, that little thing that he was actually a full time lawyer. And these guys didn't travel in, in private jets. This guy took a steamship <laughs> to come over here and win the British Amateur in the British Open. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it was a totally different era. I mean, I always joke with people. You know, people say, "Oh, this guy's a great baseball player," and I still say Babe Ruth <laughs> was the home run champion on beer and hot dogs. And that just is so much more impressive to me. I'm sorry. And not just because I'm an, the everyman and it's a blue collar thing, but the guy hit more home runs than entire teams on beer and hot dogs. And today yeah. these guys, these guys get a hangnail and they're on the DL for 12 days. They're the IL yeah, you know, for 12 days. You know, you know um, it, for me, it's a very simple, you know, the, the, there's the big argument in basketball, you know, the whole Jordan, LeBron, Jordan, Kobe, LeBron, Jordan, LeBron. Basically, now it's the you know it's the Jordan, LeBron sort of sort of argument. But for me, it's it, it's 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 very simple for me when you talk about Jordan, LeBron. I could take LeBron James or leave him. Watching him play, watching him play basketball. You know what I mean? He's great. Don't get me wrong. He's a, he's fucking awesome. He's an amazing basketball player. He, he's you know he 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 helped. He helped basketball players make a lot more money because he would just say, "I'm leaving." You know what I mean? Don't build. Don't worry about building a team around me. I'm leaving, mm-hmm. and I'm going to join this team, and then I'm going to go join that fucking team. And 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 he rose those teams to success. Don't get me wrong; he lifted them up. But like, I could see LeBron James playing his prime, basically, you know, right now over the last five years. And I don't even give a shit. The game of basketball is just ridiculous now. Michael Jordan, I would still watch Michael Jordan. Like, I would watch a midseason Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls game if it showed up on the TV right now. Just to watch you know Michael I mean? Jordan. Yeah, Just dude, to well, watch basketball, basketball's Jordan. changed so much. You know, like, I love the game of basketball. I watch that. You know, I watch highlights. I follow basketball. Basketball used to, there used to be defensive basketball. Good teams used yeah. to hold, good teams used to hold, win by holding teams to less than 100 points. And now it's a shootout. You have seven foot guys shooting three pointers. It's all about the three pointer. It's all about, it's, it's all about the, listen, metrics have gotten into every sport and these guys figure I don't need to waste my gas on defense. Let's just shoot the shit out of three pointers and see who shoots the most. That's the game of basketball today. Um, I make those comparisons. I don't think that LeBron could have played the triangle offense. I believe it was called the Phil Jackson sort of, you know, mentality. I don't know if he could have played that. I'm not taking anything away from LeBron. I think he's a great player in, in his own period, but I just don't know. Um, I would have liked to have seen Charles Oakley. I would like to have seen LeBron James and his team come to town against the Knicks of the 90s and 80s with Patrick Ewing and put a guy like Anthony Mason or Charles Oakley on him to harass him, a guy that's <laughs> never going to shoot a single shot the entire game. He's just going to hold LeBron's pocket and be in his face and antagonize and antagonize. I'd put a Dennis Rodman. Wouldn't you like to see Dennis Rodman guard LeBron James for an entire (laughs) four-quarter game? I bet there would be some serious amount of temper flares and personal fouls, and a lot of shit would be different. And today they don't – 
Today, players don't put their hands at each other like they used to. It's a different game. It's not a physical game like it used to be. And there's no yeah. defense being played. So Jordan <laughs> played in an era where he played defense. I don't see superstars play defense. What was the last no, time you yeah. heard a guy like, you know, oh, so-and-so, he's a great shooter. And, man, his defense. Michael Jordan played defense. So yeah. the game is different. It's a, it's, it's, they're both great players. I can't make a comparison. I don't know who's the best ever. They're yeah, they both talk great. about uh, – um, uh, now that again, these are the, the our generation, and then you hear the stories, and they talk about uh, uh, Stockton and Malone, and how John Stockton was basically the most evil motherfucker on the face of the planet. Like nobody liked John Stockton. If you didn't play for John with John Stockton, no one in the world liked John Stockton. He was just such a mean, miserable prick to them all. And that was just that, you know that's amazing <laughs> to me. Mm. I'm like no shit. He was that big of a dickhead to all of them just to try to win him and Malone just to try to win, you know, that now you don't see that because it's, they, they are just, there's too much. It's all Instagram. You know what I mean? They're all, it's all, it's so much more than the game. So you're right. They don't have to play defense because it's so much, it's about so much more than the game. Yeah. It's, well, it's, it's such a one money. big collective, big family. These yeah. guys are all friends at the end of the day. And before, you know, as well, you know, listen, it's the same thing though. These guys change teams, contracts before, Players played. Michael Jordan didn't really, you know, play for him. He played, you know, late in his career. But a lot of these players never played for anybody else. And you were, uh, you were, you, you were a member of the Utah Jazz. That's who you were. You were a son. You were a son of Utah. Yep. You know, you were a son of Chicago. You were a New York Knicks for life. And there, that's why there were rivalries. There were, there were these relationships, and uh, there was, there was bad blood. I mean, shit. I mean, even look at like, you know, rival rivalries, rivalries in baseball now. It's not the same yeah. thing because guys, you know, they switch teams too fast. Yep. No, yeah. I, I, yeah. It's uh, absolutely. But like, j- again, just jumping back on that, like I totally, you know, seeing Tiger and then seeing to be able to see Tiger on on the senior tour, which is what we would be on. You know what I mean? Like it's uh, as our equal as far as age to see see him come there and you know get those. You get some. You can get some big. Big matches that he could lift up some. He could make some money for some, for a lot of a lot more people by doing that for that tour. Man, that tour would be more popular. It would it would have to rival the PGA tour. It would have to. Yeah, and I think that the biggest part of it, talk about you know, is the rivalries that would be recreated. Yeah, I mean all these guys. I mean shit, like you know, I I, I get it. You know, and you know, like a lot of these pros, they don't want to go and dominate these tours because there's a lot of journeyman guys that were professional golfers that weren't good on tour. But they're on the senior tour. They're there to make ends meet. That's why Phil doesn't go around stomping these guys every week because there's guys that need to make you know need to make a paycheck. But at the same time, I think if I was a senior golfer and I was just a middle of the road journeyman golfer, I'd want these guys there week to week because it raises the purses. It raises the the amount of people buying tickets to see you. I mean, I don't know how it doesn't help. If it helped on the regular tour, I don't know how that doesn't translate into the senior tour as well and i just like Uh, i said it's one thing to see tiger but i want to see you know the guys chasing tiger i want to see some of these other guys you know so i want to see those rivalries i think that 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 to me is really cool it's actually uh, i mean as far as sport is concerned it's one of those rarities where you know golf because of the nature of the game you can play it you can actually play it professionally late in life some players even improve as they age some guys aren't some players even yeah yeah better and and even like you know you were saying for you know for for guys that that were these sort of journeymen on the pga tour that are are excelling in the the on the senior tour and the other guys that like 
Mickelson not playing every week because he doesn't want to stomp these guys. But you're right. Like, so you think about a guy, the, those big names, they they just go get to play golf for four days a week. They don't have the stress is not on them anymore. They're still going to make money. You know what I mean? They've already been have, paid, though. They've, they've already they've been already, paid. They've already, yeah, they've already been paid, and now they're they're going to pay their expenses just by again, like you said, like going to these beautiful golf courses, playing. It's only three days, right? Is it three days on the senior tour? They play three days. Three days. Usually. They play unless, three unless, days it on it the might senior be, maybe tour. Maybe less, less the majors, but yeah. You know, yeah, less the majors, but I mean, like dr- carts. You know, daily going to be there this week. All that's right. what I'm well, talking about. Couples that's and what, daily, are, couples and daily yes. are going to be are, are yes. teeing off together. You're like, what? Couples and daily are playing together? Yeah, because they're playing golf and they're. And as far as like, oh, you know, getting back to these guys again, I don't see a, a point. And maybe it's just these two guys, but maybe you could throw a couple other guys into the mix. Maybe there's maybe a handful of guys, but I don't, I don't know. If, like, I think cap everything off. Like Thanksgiving. Tiger Phil, eighteen holes somewhere cool. Christmas yeah, Day, yeah, Tiger yeah. Phil somewhere cool. <laughs> Masters Week after my, Masters Monday, Tiger Phil somewhere at, at you know playing Augusta on the, the day after the Masters is over. I don't see a point where that ever gets old to me. Fourth of July weekend, you know, right? Can yeah. these can these guys play four or five times a year? Yeah, I, I, for they, me, I mean, I need it up. It never gets be, old. Yeah. It never gets old. Yeah, that would even. But what it should be is it should be there has. I mean, there are definitely rivalries that are going on on the tour as well, which would be great if it was Tiger Phil and that one of those rivalries, the Brooks Bryson rivalry. Great like, idea. You know who does Dustin Johnson has to knock it along with somebody? He's an all. He, Dustin Johnson is like fucking gold. Like that yeah. guy is gold. The life he's lived is fucking. You talk about Brooks Kepka, then you go to Dustin Johnson, who is the number one player in the world Charmed. for a good good amount of time that yeah. wins these fucking massive golf tournaments that is also fucking falling down the steps on cocaine yeah. and pulling himself out of the masters because he's a fucking addict like right. he's the ma- he's the most amazing golfer ever like come right on. There's, there's, there's some other stuff out there there's some other guys out there you get some other personalities golf yeah, has, get, golf has kind of gotta, lost a little bit of the personality i think it's good for it like back in the day you had Trevino talking shit and you had, you know, these guys, Chi Chi Rodriguez with his moves. And, you know, a lot of guys are so robotic. It would be nice to get a few of these guys out there that are a little lively. And, you know, like I, I get that, you know, or like mini, you know, mini things like little mini Ryder cups or like what, you know, four man Ryder cup style, you know, two guys, Lee Westwood and Paul Casey against Tiger and Phil at somewhere cool in Europe. And there's, you know, I don't know. I think I'm not trying to come up with any new ideas for the PGA tour to make money. Cause I'm sure they have, plenty of people in place to do that but as a as a person who is a a fan and uh, you know someone who watches a fair amount of golf and golf highlights and stuff that shit i don't know to me at this point it's a little bit more interesting i don't know why <laughs> it just is i um so the, the i don't, have you ever this is a maybe a, a podcast corner a shout out corner or whatever but have you ever heard of uh eric anders lang no he um He's a golfer, well, like a. He does these documentaries basically on YouTube. I can't remember the name. I think the channel is called Scratch. He has a podcast as well. The channel is called Scratch on on YouTube, and it's sponsored by Delta. And basically, he does this thing called Adventures in Golf or something, where he goes to these really cool, unique places to play golf. And these amazing, cool, crazy, cool stories. Like he plays a. Do you ever hear of Lofoten Lynx in Norway? No. Lofoten Lynx in Norway is like this 
one of the most amazing golf courses in the entire world. And it's only open like, I don't know, because it's, it's dark there six months out of the year. Right. right. So, so there, there's like two months where it's open 24 hours. And then there's like two more months where it's open or three months where it's open for certain hours and it's very cheap to play. It's way, way up there, way up in the Northern, Northern Norway. But he like heard about it. It's got an Irish greenskeeper. The greenskeeper is Irish and it's just this crazy story. And there's all these crazy stories like that. He was just the, the last one I just saw was he's in Germany and he's playing in Germany. And, um, the in germany if you want to play golf you need to get a license yeah no i saw this did i just happen to see this is this this guy who wears like a boonie cap and yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i've seen this guy i just saw this guy recently highly recommend highly recommend <coughs> watching Excuse 10 me. minute 10 minute 12 minute videos on i YouTube. just i just literally saw this guy there was a clip of him chipping and putting in germany with this other guy and they're talking about needing a license to play golf and he said like that's why he was talking about how why he wasn't ever good at golf because he just bought a driver and just went to the yes. range and pounded drivers and never really yeah. learned about feel and touch. And yeah, I'm sure uh, Goldie could tell you all about feel and touch. <laughs> Goldie knows all about all about feel and touch. That's what he is all over the golf mm-hmm. course, baby. Mm-hmm. He's the feel and touch master on a golf course. But yeah, I just thought it was you know the the, and the, the basically they talk to people. They're like, well, look, even if they didn't have a license, he said in that video, the, the pro said, even if they didn't have a license, they still wouldn't go out on a golf course until they knew how to play. The Germans want to know how to, they take more lessons than anybody and they go to the range more than anybody because they want to learn how to play so much. It's not about the golf course. They won't go to the golf course until they can do it and they can't because they have to get a license. Whereas we go to the golf course, smack balls around the course when we were starting, you know, we all just went to the course. The range was boring. You know, it's crazy how that, how the process works in Germany, you know, you have to get a license. That'd be a, that'd be an interesting trip to, to go to a German golf course. Oh man, I, they're big golfers. You know, I think it'd be kind of fun. There's just, there's so many cool places out there, and you know, as, as I mean, just on the subject of interesting spots, I mean, it's always good to like be a big game hunter and take down the big tracks. And I've been fortunate to play some of the greatest golf in the world. And but I tell you, nothing is better than like coming across the hidden gems. And you know, this year, um, this this year. Uh, uh, I don't know if you, I don't know. Uh, well, for, for, for my 50th, I'm going to, I want to plan a big golf trip. And one of yeah. my, des- one of my destinations is um, Scotland. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I've talked to a lot of people who have gone and they're always like play Nairn, play these places, you know, the oldest golf courses in the world. And, you know, I want to play the big ones, but I want to go to these places that are backwoods and off the beaten path and have the purest, you know, the, pu- the purest links of the purest links. Cause you know, I'm a links golfer, you know, I'm so yeah. much more about that than I am target golfer florida golf or anything like yeah. that i mean don't get me wrong i i i take seminole any day down in florida but uh as for the rest of it you know i'm I, i'm much more of a you know uh, i'm we, we grew up around Lynx golf and that's what i'm down with so i love coming across those places that are special and even if they're nine holes or even if they're a weird number of holes or whatever the story is or situation is that's the kind of stuff that's um a much bigger that's much at this point at this stage it's so much more appealing to me to find those kind of places for instance the island yeah and and generally i'll send you i'll send you another there's another uh fellow on youtube who's got a channel called golf mates he's a british guy and he just kind of uh goes around all these different courses with these these it's like a, this old group of old guys that go around and doing it but he um like I, I, 
in Scotland, similar to, to Ireland, really, though, there are, a lot, there are a lot of those courses. You know what I mean? There are a lot of those right down the road from the course that you've heard about. Is is the, yeah, that's, that's the other point. Course, that's what I'm saying. That's the one you want to play, and it costs 50 pounds to play. That. I'm telling you. you put, it on, I mean? like, put it on your calendar, Cat. Yeah. I'd love for you Let's, to join me, man. I'd love for you to join me. Let's go do it. I'll come I'll come dates, if, man. if COVID's good, I'll come visit you. We'll play a couple around Dublin that we love so dearly. I'd love to capture, um, do a little port rush, and then off to nail a couple in, in uh, Scotland and have that uh, trip of a lifetime. That would be Let's uh, do it. that would be special. I think it's I think it's something that we need to really focus Let's on. We'll have it, plenty man. of time this year when you're here to visit to talk to us about that. And um, Let's hope that happens, man. But I, I got our fingers crossed. We're going to have this thing. It's going to be, it's going to be a blast. It's setting up to be something special, you know? So, so I hope it follows through on something special. Cause I really think that, uh, that we're going to have some fun soon. So uh, uh, I'm, I'm coming super, for you. Super, I'm coming super. for you. And you yeah. know who I'm talking about. Yeah, I think we know who you're talking about. Roz, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. You have been it's been awesome talking to you, getting getting back back with the Roz. We talked food, we talked sports, we talked golf, we talked all the things that we love to talk about. And that's what uh, this podcast is all about, man. So appreciate it and thanks for taking your time. And I hope uh your 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 Gatorade is just fairly just at the end of that glass right now, and, and you can go get yourself another one uh, because I am done with you. You don't have to hang out with me no more for this week, pal. Thank you. Well, you're welcome, and thank you for having me. Um, I miss you dearly, and um, I'm looking forward to uh, speaking to you again. Give uh, everybody at home a big hug for me. Yo, this is Romo. That's Rousey, and uh, we're out for number 25. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Pet Fangs with the amazing theme songs. Thanks, Joe. Poachy McCann with the, uh, with the artwork. You're the man, Poach. Thanks a million, folks, for listening. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon. We may actually have a, a surprise one coming up Sunday. I may have a, a little interview going on on Sunday. We'll see what happens, but uh, uh, we may have two of them this week. Thanks for the, so much, folks, for listening. Hit the lotto. We out of hey.